0: Hey, hello. Hi, everyone. Welcome to and are back to the theory podcast. I am your host, Jill Trees, and this week's episode, we have a wonderful guest and I am so very excited for you guys to hear this episode. Um, all honesty here, uh, I thought this was going to be an hour tops and this episode ended up going on for over two hours and uh, that's not including the time that me and Sonia talked off air. Um, but yes, so the guest is Sonia from Saddle Fit for Life and she is a global education coordinator and an individual who knows an awful lot about saddles and research. And, um, she is the person that I've been in contact with and had several conversations about, um, for me doing their certified equine ergonomist course. So I've had a few conversations with her and she's helped me out a lot. And I was like, you know, what if you came on my podcast and helped out everyone else? <laughs> so I asked you guys on Instagram um, so to send me some questions and boy, did you guys not hold back. But I am planning on having a few more guests on to talk about saddle fit and how important it is as well as a bunch of the little minute details so um, this is more of an overview a generalized introduction to some things you need to consider about saddles and saddle fitting so hopefully you guys find this episode entertaining and you enjoy it and yeah be sure to check out saddle fit for life um sonia doesn't have any like social media that she wants to promote other than just the brand so be sure to give that a check out and um, yeah let's get into it Alrighty, guys, I actually lied. I got to do a little self promo here for a sec. If you are interested in learning more about training your horse and or positive reinforcement, or you have a very niche topic that you'd like to know more about, I have several of those, all of that information categorized and available up on my website, Um And beyond that, we got social media, we got Instagram, we got YouTube, we got Twitter, we got Facebook. TikTok, even all of that, you can find under Jet Equithery, and the podcast is on some of those under Equithery. So you can follow along to keep up with me and the horses, as well as be updated when there are new episodes that go live. Um, so beyond that, I also have the Patreon. So if you would like to get any training advice from me, training or behavioral consulting, that is a service I offer on my Patreon. I'm working on getting it up independently on my website, but it's taking me a little bit um but yeah so all of that is there and merch is coming soon I'm redoing it all it'll be up soon on the Jet site and you won't have to go to any other website for that <laughs> it'll be up just on my website so that's all coming we got a few horses for sale if you're interested in that and uh beyond that That's it. So let's get Sonia on the line. All right, guys, I have Sonia on the line here. Say hello. Hi. (laughs) Okay, so would you mind giving the listeners an idea of who on earth you are and what you do?
1: Uh, Yeah, no problem. So my name is Sonia. I work for Saddle Fit for Life. We are a global educator on saddle fitting. And what I do is help develop the curriculum I write the Facebook posts I provide student support and pretty much a little bit of everything
0: Mm -hmm. yeah so how did you get into all of that because we've we've known each other for a little while because I'm taking the saddle fit for life course which is incredibly comprehensive oh my god the certified equine ergonomist course and I just, I wonder how did you get into saddle fitting and the research side of it? Like was there a particular case that sparked your interest?
1: So it's actually a funny story. The reason I found Saddle Fit for Life was the same reason that the founder founded Saddle Fit for Life. Interesting. Um, I have a very difficult to fit uh, thoroughbred mare. who She has massive withers, you know, a tiny little saddle support area. and. I need like a 17, 18 inch saddle. there. So I started looking around for saddles, nothing fit. I went through, I don't even know how many fitters. Mm-hmm. And finally I discovered Saddle for Life and they were looking for someone to sort of digitize their education, bring them into sort of the next generation of delivering education. And that's how we sort of came together. And the research part of it came when, you know, I told them about my interest in anatomy and biomechanics and in really furthering um, our education and how comprehensive it was in working with veterinarians, uh, people who specifically do dissections. And that led me to sort of travel around testing saddles with a whole bunch of different equipment and, you know, adding it to our courses, make it bigger and better constantly.
0: Mm-hmm. I relate to that so much. I also have that shark fin short-backed thoroughbred mare. And we'll let you know instantly if she's uncomfortable in any way, shape, or form. (laughs) So, um, yeah, that's awesome. I I don't even know how you picked an area because in working with horses and I'm like, okay, I'm going to start with hoof care. And then I'm like, oh, but nope, you can't do that without nutrition. Let me get into training. Oh, can't do that without knowing everything about anatomy and saddle fit. (laughs) Like, how did you pick just the one area? Is that just how life took you?
1: Um, I I guess it was one of the easiest ones to fix. So when you're talking about farrier or nutrition or oh my god even training,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you you can spend a lifetime explaining it to someone, right. and until they feel it, they experience it, they ride it, they really don't get it. But for saddle fitting, it's so easy to fix.
0: Right, and it's very visual like, too.
1: Yeah, saddle doesn't fit. Find another one. Right. Like it's, it's simple, but I mean, obviously you've taken the course. It's not quite as simple as that, but it's a lot, it's a lot easier to change out someone's saddle than it is to change their whole preconception of how a horse needs to be trained.
0: Right. Of course that, and, and the nutrition and the hoof care. I mean, there's, I don't know, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, there is so many misconceptions about every facet of horses and you know obviously my podcast is a positive reinforcement training geared podcast so i, I spent 90 percent of my time talking about misconceptions so i have a feeling you relate in that regard that there's just so much information out there that gets bogged down in marketing marketing tactics and then you're just like the poor owners and riders are like what do i do i don't know i thought this was right and it's not <laughs> So,
1: yeah, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, and I think it's awesome what you guys do that you're trying to make that education more accessible and actually educate people with research and not just, oh, yeah, the horse seems fine. So <laughs> that's a big part And that's of... the
1: difference with our company is if someone comes to us and says, hey, I found new evidence that kind of contradicts what you're teaching, it's like, yes, show it to us. Let us read it. Give us more. And then we change. We mm-hmm. change with you know, with evidence that gets brought to the surface with new techniques on research. We don't just stick to our guns like, no, no, this is how we do it, and we're not changing. It's That's the difference. We evolve constantly because it's not about ego. It's not about money. It's not about, you know, our brand even. It's about helping the horse full stop.
0: Right. Yeah, and I... That's why when you reached out to me and gave me the elevator pitch on the brand, I was like, yep, this is something that I'm very interested in because we – and when we first talked, shared a lot of the same values on just trying to make the world a better place for horses with research, evidence, and science rather than conventional wisdom and just, you know, winging it, I guess.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, so – Um, Is there anything else you want to say before we dive into these questions? We got so Uh, many.
1: No, I know we have so many questions, so I say let's just jump right in.
0: All right, let's do it. So um, as you guys, the listeners know, I asked a bunch of you on Instagram what you would like to know about saddle fitting, and I got over 50 questions. And I have a document in front of me that organizes about 45 of them because a lot of them were repeats, of course. Um, And unfortunately, we're not going to be able to cover everything, though I think me and Sonia would both really love to do that. (laughs) We had a hard time deciding which would be, you know, the most pertinent ones to at least kick off a potential series on saddle fit would be. So, um, of course, the first one has to be, Sonia, what is your ideal saddle setup? What does it look like?
1: So in regards to saddle setup, ideally, it fits horse and rider perfectly equally. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. I have a lot of riders who will put the comfort of the horse first and will suffer the pain and the discomfort and the imbalance of riding a saddle that's not suited to them, not understanding or realizing that an imbalanced rider negatively affects a horse so if you have for example someone riding on your shoulders and mm-hmm. that person's wiggling around non-stop you will never be able to walk a straight line right yet we expect our horses to be able to go in straight lines remain balanced you know shift their weight to the hind while we're up there like a sack of potatoes flopping around mm-hmm
0: Yeah, I feel like equestrians do tend to have a little bit of martyrdom going on. We're always like, yeah, I'll get my horse chiropracted and physio and the vet visits and all of these supplements and make sure their nutrition is perfect. And then we look at our houses and it's just in complete disarray. And we're like, I can't remember the last time I showered.
1: (laughs) I mean, it's not uncommon to have a rider, like, measure out all the supplements for their horse, make sure everything's organic, top of the line, and then the rider, you know, eats a sandwich that has fallen on the barn floor.
0: Yes, I I am guilty of this. (laughs) Before I started, like, having a food delivery service, uh, I was like, mac and cheese sounds good, and those cups for children. I'll do that for dinner. But I need to make sure my horse has a low NSC diet and has her gut supplements and her cbd whatnot and like just oh it i i really think that that's something that has to change in the industry and i think that what you guys are doing is a great step in that direction because you're bringing more and more awareness all the time to how important it is that riders also consider themselves because like you said even if you buy the best saddle on the market for your horse if it doesn't work for you then you're still your horse is still going to suffer
1: Yeah, and I mean, of all the fitters that I had out, not a single one took any measurements of me, not one.
0: Yeah, that's not good. I I remember when I got my first quote-unquote custom saddle, they took the measurement of my femur, and that was about it. And I was like, okay, (laughs) that's good enough, I guess. And then, you know, I see companies like Schleza out there doing butt molds, and I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I, there is clearly a difference here. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: I mean, even when you have other fitters out and they'll they'll tell you it's like, "Oh, you don't need to do that." And most people will believe them. It's like, "Oh, I guess I don't need it." It's like if you're measured for any other equipment in any other sport, they will take everything into consideration. But for riding, suddenly it's not important. It, right. it really makes no sense.
0: Right. And you just get an assembly line saddle and th- there, because a bunch of top level riders ride in it, this is must be the best option, right? Basically, yep. So what is the most important thing about saddle fitting?
1: Fit to the rider. Okay. I can have a saddle fitted perfectly, perfectly to the horse, but if it doesn't fit the rider, they will cause it to no longer fit the horse. Elaborate. <laughs> and a lot of people, when, when a lot of people ask, like, what's the most important? And I tell them it's the rides. Like, "What?" It, you see it sort of like this confusion on their face. They're like, well, well, what do you mean? So, for example, let's take a saddle that's been fitted to a horse perfectly. In balance, wonderful. Throw on a rider. Rider is not fitted to that saddle. So rider... For example, if it's a male saddle and a female rider, in order to not crush her bits, Mm -hmm. unlike men, she can't put it left or right. We unfortunately (laughs) sit right on the money. Right. She is going to either have to push back against the cantle or or like tilt her pelvis backwards. What happens then is she cannot she can't absorb the motion of the horse anymore. Mm -hmm. And also if she's further back or if she's curling her back She's coming down into the saddle like a jackhammer. Her legs are also too far in front, so she's leaning forward. She is slamming against a cantle every time she posts, or even if she's sort of in a half seat. She's very unbalanced up there, and she relies on um, compensatory posture or even her hands to help balance herself. So how then is that horse supposed to move properly supposed to be comfortable in that saddle when it's being pulled this way and that and slammed and bounced against and so on
0: right and then you know you end up with the horse that's traveling hollow or tight and tense develops SI issues or kissing spine related problems and then your saddle just doesn't fit anymore (laughs) that beautiful perfect or the horse
1: just refuses to go forward and you have these riders it's like oh my horse doesn't like turning left it's like that's a load of crap Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but that's a lot of crap. Your horse doesn't like turning left. He won't turn left because of pain. Right. Not that he doesn't like that direction.
0: <laughs> right. There is almost always an issue, whether it's up in the neck or if it's the saddles in the way or your blocking somewhere. I mean, there's a whole slew of reasons, but I also don't accept that horses just don't turn or potentially, you know, they've got a buddy on the fence line and they would like to go to the buddy. <laughs> you know, I mean, there are endless reasons, but I think I think it's important and what you're saying about the difference between male versus female and obviously that could be a whole series in and of itself and would need visual aids but from my understanding in the saddle fit for life course that i'm taking the like you a female's pubic bone is a little bit lower than a male's right so we're almost always directly on it unless the saddle is fitted to women because most saddles are manufactured and made by men and and have historically been and there hasn't really been any evidence or research to my understanding before you guys that said anything otherwise. And as a rider that has significant low back pain to the point of being nearly arthritic and this big old gigantic giraffe neck on my body, um, I suffer a lot of pain from riding incorrectly and watching myself in videos. I used to always be so ungodly frustrated that I couldn't sit up straight, or I always looked like I was tipping forward. And even when I would look down at my saddle, I would be like, My saddle looks like it's sitting off to the left. And I would tell my trainer, and she was like, Well, you just need to, you're probably pulling it one way. And I'm like, I'm looking at the saddle, and it looked like my, or the saddle looks straight, but I'm sitting off to the right. And so it's giving the illusion that it's off to the left. And, you know, just a bunch of little things like that that I just thought were par for the course i guess but um i not until i started taking the course that i realized that riding is not supposed to be painful like you're not supposed to develop back issues from riding a horse (laughs) i was just like well it's unnatural it's it's tough so of course
1: and what saddens me is you have all these young kids learning to ride horses and from the get-go they are having to compensate or they're having to just sort of deal with it Mm -hmm. and it becomes this thing where you know as soon as they're in the saddle they expect to have to protect themselves against something so they immediately without even realizing slide back you know tilt their pelvis back or adjust themselves in a way to make them comfortable but doesn't allow them to ride to their full potential right and it like no one is doing anything about it Right. It's like, and the worst part is the instructors are like, oh, you know, pull your leg back or, right. you know, whatever, not realizing that physically in order to follow the instructions of the coach or whatever, that person has to essentially hurt themselves.
0: Right. And... They have
1: to put a lot of strain on their body and put themselves at risk of physical injury in order to comply.
0: Right. And I mean, growing up, I mean, I think I started riding when I was seven, and I'm 22 now. So like, and it just is chronic. If you're not riding in saddles that fit well, and your horse isn't able able to move without feeling like a washing machine, and you're not able to move with them without yourself feeling like a washing machine. And I just remember growing up and like riding bareback and thinking I was like, I unlocked some new secret door, because I would round my low back and so then I could absorb every movement in my low back um, that ended up backfiring because then what that does is it makes me lock in my neck so that I'm still still up there and then I'm working against my body the whole time um, but I was trying to allow my seat to fit the horse's back and move with them while me also being stable which just ends up being a bunch of static on the horse's back and you also can't sit, without rounding your back as a woman, you know, you, it's, it's not possible because otherwise you're, you're going to injure yourself in some very not, non-desirable areas. Um, so on the flip side, what's the biggest consequence of a poorly fitted saddle and obviously poorly fitted to who, but I guess just in general, a poorly fitted saddle, like, um, you know, what are some of the behavioral issues, the long-term career outlook um, of a horse that's, you know, having to deal, or a horse and rider pair, I suppose, having to ride in a saddle that just doesn't fit? So
1: so we'll, we'll look at it a little more on the horse side, but I want to sort of start off by saying there's so many different aspects that we look at in regards to how the saddle fits the horse that... Every single aspect of fit has its own consequence if it's not suited to the animal. Right. So, for example, if you, have, if you have a saddle where the tree width is too narrow or the tree angle is, you know, not suitable for the shoulders of the horse, then you risk damaging the scapula. You can cause atrophy to the trapezius. The horse will never lift the base of the neck. They'll be heavy. In your hands they'll be heavy on the forehand that puts the tendons ligaments everything of the forelimbs at risk because they're taking all the concussion the horse will also never round the back so that means that the back remains dropped even during suspension mm-hmm. and that predisposes them to kissing spine um, what else can happen is the spinal nerves come out on each side of the vertebrae if there is too much instability in the back, or if the horse is not utilizing the back and the abdominal muscles correctly, that little hole where the nerves come out can get smaller. And I'm not sure if you've reached that part of our course yet, but we actually have photos of the vertebrae where that little hole has gotten smaller. And that means the nerves are pinched. Ugh, yeah, and there I... is no surgical procedure to fix that. That's that. Crazy. That horse is not able to be ridden anymore.
0: That's crazy. I haven't reached that part of the course, but I feel like I've seen at least an infographic or maybe some photos of vertebrae that have encountered that issue. And that is absolutely terrifying as somebody who experiences back pain. I can't imagine it being expected to carry a person on my back going through that. That's no bueno.
1: No, even just a saddle would cause a lot of pain.
0: Yeah. And regarding the gullet width, um, I, I was reading in the course about that, you know, some people will say, well, you know, it takes my horse about 20 minutes to warm up and then he's good after that. But if you, if your channel is too narrow and correct me if I'm, if I'm messing anything up, I'm still very new, but, um, that you're actually forcing the spine or the nerves running on either side of it to go numb or the ligaments, I guess. Um, can you tell I'm like super well-versed in anatomy? <laughs> I'm getting there, that's why I'm. So,
1: so the gist of it is correct. When you have a horse where it takes, you know, it, t- it does take nerves about 20 minutes to sort of go numb mm-hmm. with constant pressure. And the reason the gullet channel is so important is that the spine doesn't just move up and down, it moves laterally. Right. And not only that, but when the horse bends left or right, the saddle itself doesn't bend left or right, it remains straight. So the gullet needs to be wide enough so that when the horse bends, even the slightest amount, if it's too narrow, it'll actually contact the spine. And this is also important when you're looking at the asymmetry of a horse. Mm-hmm. So and th- for some reason, a lot of people think if you have an asymmetrical horse, you fit the saddle symmetrically like the saddle should be symmetric but it shouldn't right you should always fit an asymmetric horse with an asymmetrical saddle in order to keep it straight on the spine what happens if it isn't is the saddle will always fall into the hollow side which means that the gullet is no longer parallel with the spine which means panels are no longer parallel with the spine which means that even going in a straight line especially the back of the panel will turn in and start bumping against the spine, and the spine itself, on the outside it has the longissimus, which is meant to carry weight, but on the inside it has a smaller muscle called multifidus, and that stabilizes the spine. Mm -hmm. You do not want to be sitting on that whatsoever. If you are next to your horse and you sort of run your fingers backwards along the spine, even just against the hair, like without much pressure, the horse will react. He won't pin his ears, he won't turn around and bite you, it's just a reaction. But suddenly, with the narrow gullet handle, you've now told the body, don't lift, drop away and lock to protect yourself. Right. And Which is you know
0: again, no you enough. predispose
1: them to injuries and hollowness and heavy in the front and you know, just essentially shortening their career.
0: Yeah. And I have been guilty of that, and I am paying for it to this day with a mayor that has just had kissing spine surgery. And looking at the saddles that I used to ride her in and their gullet channel, which I guess should probably define if people listening haven't already googled it. Um, that's the the space on the underside of the saddle that either either of the panels is that a good I don't think that's a I'm not painting a picture. you're better at this. <laughs>
1: so it's it's basically the underside of the saddle the space between the two panels but one thing i will say is even with a sufficiently wide gullet channel Mm -hmm. if the saddle is placed on an asymmetric horse which most of them are right it can still cross over and connect with the spine
0: right which you explained to me a while back because i i remember i asked you about it because i saw a post that was like no asymmetric is bad and i was like Sonia, counter. (laughs) And um, I, but you were like, you know, if if it's, if the saddle is a perfectly symmetrical saddle sitting on an unsymmetrical surface, it's going to tip to the side because gravity and that's weaker, that's more hollow. So then you never have a shot at developing that weaker side because the horse is constantly being pinched, bumped, or aggravated in some way on that side. And then the side that's already stronger is now having to overcompensate for even more inhibition on that side. Yeah,
1: and and that's without a rider. Right. Imagine that. That's just a saddle that's been girthed up. And add a rider who now has to compensate for a saddle that is not balanced. So they're having to compensate for the saddle and the horse has to compensate for saddle and rider. So tell me, again, logically, how a horse is meant to become straighter with that.
0: We just don't deserve them.
1: I can't think of <laughs> Yeah. We, we really don't. We really don't.
0: I I just know that there are so many people riding in the, the assembly line style saddles that are just mass produced, and they are inherently symmetrical. And most people adjust it that way or shim it so that they can you know, hopefully get to a place where their horse is quote unquote symmetrical. But I don't know if there is such thing as any leave, living, breathing creature that is fully symmetrical. Don't think it exists.
1: And I mean, even we're not symmetrical. Right. We're stronger on one side. Horses are stronger. And even for horses, their organ placement isn't even symmetrical. Neither is ours.
0: Right. So how There's expect...
1: nothing that is symmetrical.
0: Right. So how so can you? So expect... why are
1: we riding in a saddle that is symmetrical?
0: Right. And ideally, you have a saddle that has full contact with the horse's back, except for obviously along the spinal channel. But it's if it's a symmetrical saddle, then it's it's gonna tip because you're you're fitting to uh, an unrealistic standard, the, not to the horse in front of you, and. I understand that that gets frustrating with, um, horses like Zoe, who will be in a rehab program that you're going to have to fit and refit and refit and refit and refit. And it gets pricey, but to some extent, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how to solve the problem, but to me, it feels like if you're going to ride and put the horses in, you know, different various situations for competition or recreation purposes, you should at least do them you know the benefit of being comfortable and able to succeed because i feel like putting a saddle on um you know that doesn't fit the horse out of convenience or you know an issue of affordability which is the unfortunate commonality and in all spears of horses but it it's it's like asking a young horse to do you know a full cross-country course when they have not seen a jump yet it's it's not fair, and then you're mm-hmm. setting the horse up for failure or to look like the bad horse that encounters behavioral issues like bucking or not moving forward or rearing a slew of issues. Um, so I guess, do you have thoughts on that? Or um,
1: So I think the biggest thing is, so I'll use like a dog or a cat as a pet for an example. When you get a dog, you expect to have to walk it correct Mm -hmm. when you have a cat you expect to have a litter box which you have to scoop daily when you have a horse there is no expectation of saddle fitting it is considered in excess of the care that you should provide to it when it shouldn't be it is part of the core care that is that you should be providing your horse just like with diet and farrier turnout whatever it's just as important And I think one of the reasons that people ignore it so much is, unlike cats and dogs, horses do not scream when they are in pain. Right. And a lot of their behavior is misunderstood for, you know, for them misbehaving or, you know, having an off day. We just don't understand their communication. We don't understand how they portray discomfort, how they... Know, are trying to communicate with this and because it's not as in your face as you know like a scream or a biting or anything like that it sort of gets pushed to the wayside and you know dismissed right and we have a lot of you know riding schools or you know the old and I'm not you know crapping on tabloids or anything but a lot of like the old school types where it's like oh you know I use this saddle on all of my horses the saddle doesn't need to fit It's like if you have a kid Would you give them one pair of shoes and expect them to wear it for the rest of their life? Horses grow. Horses develop. Their body changes incredibly fast, and it will change through their entire life. Why are we ignoring that fact For, for convenience?
0: Right, and I mean, I guess the biggest difference is that needing to go clean your litter box is free, and needing to have a saddle that fits your horse isn't, but I mean... Like to me, in order to be ethical and humane to the horse that we use to fulfill our recreational or competitive nature is like, if we're going to do that, then we need to set the horse up for success and take them into consideration rather than just, I hate to say it because I mean, it's, it's such a, a conundrum really, because, you know, I know that there are the people that listen to this podcast care more about their horses than just about anything else. And to say, well, you might be doing your horse a disservice if you haven't bought a fully custom saddle, but at the same time, a lot of people can't afford it. And it's, to me, come to the point where like, I'm not riding my horse or several of the other horses because we don't have a saddle that fits them. And I feel that it's, it's unethical to ask them to you know, do this thing that I need them to do because I need the commission or because I want to ride my horse. But if I don't have a saddle that fits them and it's going to cause them pain, then it doesn't seem like that. It it seems like my reasoning would be selfish then. And then I'm doing it at the expense of the horse, which is not something that's cool.
1: (laughs) I mean, when you're purchasing a horse, the cost of a saddle and continuous saddle fitting should be taken into consideration in the same way that a cost of, you know, a vet check and continual vet checks are considered.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: That that will s- help to set people up with, you know, preparing for the expense of actually taking care of all of the horse's needs. But I wanted to comment very briefly on, because you mentioned a custom saddle. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have this misconception that custom saddles are the be-all, end-all not realizing that a custom saddle for the most part cannot be adjusted right So once you have it you have it but if your horse changes bye-bye saddle
0: right and that's the issue that i ran into my whole riding career i was like well this saddle's custom it was a five thousand dollar saddle and it doesn't fit my horse now what i can't just sell this saddle like you know when i was younger and my parents bought it for me i'm like i can't be like hey mom and dad I know that you're a teacher and a police officer but I need a different five thousand dollar saddle and so then you just end up getting stuck with it or buying into you know memory foam pads or uh the air pads with the rubber that's squishy and whatnot and um, I've heard a lot of different things about half pads generally it's not something I tend to go for just because I don't have enough information on it to make an educated decision and a lot of it I feel like changes the saddle fit in probably a negative way mostly because I don't know what I'm doing (laughs) I'm getting there thank god for the course but um yeah
1: I mean for saddle pads the the purpose especially in English saddles the purpose of the pad is to protect your saddle against sweat Mm -hmm. like that's all it's supposed to do Right. Um, in the cases of, you know, pads with pockets, you can, if you know how, and I guarantee you most people don't,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you can do shimming to temporarily help with a saddle that, you know, mostly fits but can't be adjusted asymmetrically.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And sort of going back to your point of, you know, buying like a $5,000 custom saddle, for us, it's it's not about the cost of the saddle. Like, it doesn't matter what brand – how old it is nothing the best or sorry the ideal saddle for a horse is one that can be adjusted because again the back changes changes constantly and hopefully for the better if you're training the horse in a manner that is suited to their physique and their well-being mm-hmm. um but a lot of people get stuck on the oh you know i can't afford a huge you know five thousand dollar expensive custom saddle. It's like well you don't you don't need to
0: okay
1: All you need, all you need is to know what your horse needs first and foremost. Don't go out there looking for this saddle, that saddle, you know, with this component, that component, leave that to later. Figure out what your horse needs first, figure out what you need, and then go out and see what saddle can kind of, you know, provide comfort and support for your horse. If it needs a little bit of shimming, that's fine. You don't have to spend thousands and thousands. We've seen people, you know, find a perfectly suitable saddle for, like, $400. Right.
0: Yeah, and I guess my thought would be, um, like, you're... You've mentioned adjustable saddles, and I feel like that is another word like custom that probably means a bunch of different things to people, or different people, that, um, you know, before I started taking the course, in my mind, an adjustable saddle was one like the Wintech or the Bates that have the changeable gullet system, but I'm assuming that you're talking about a little bit more than just the gullet, so do you have thoughts on that? Yeah,
1: so... There are three main types of saddles. There's one that's not adjustable, so they're usually built on like a wood tree Mm -hmm. or like a hard plastic tree. Um, The next one is the interchangeable saddle. So you can change out the gulp plate or you have sort of like the Genesis tree where you can use an allen key to make adjustments. Mm. But that really only changes the front. The last one is an adjustable where you actually need a tree machine like a hydraulic tree machine or whatever, and a fitter comes out and they take the measurements of the horse and it can be adjusted in width, in angle, and also asymmetrically without twisting the tree, and that's the kicker. A lot of saddles, if you were to do an asymmetrical adjustment on them when they're not meant to have it, you will twist the entire tree or break it. Hmm. So an adjustment. A truly adjustable saddle is one that can be adjusted in number one width, number two angle, number three asymmetrically without twisting the whole tree. And they're usually built on trees that are made out of polyurethane. Right. Anything wood. So if you have a saddle with a wood tree and a fitter comes out and says, I can adjust that, run away because mm-hmm. they are going to break your tree. If you have... A hard plastic tree and they say you know i can adjust that eh, run away (laughs) we have had we've had high level riders riding in saddles that when you look at it with the naked eye you're like oh it's fine when our saddle filler took it apart and opened it up the tree was broken oh no in three places Ah. because someone had gone in tried to adjust it and broke it
0: that's crazy is there any way to tell without taking it apart
1: that it's broken or what kind of tree
0: it has? That it's broken.
1: Um sometimes it's really difficult. It might just be a fracture, mm-hmm. but if you hold the saddle sideways sort of against your rib cage and you pull inward, so you're essentially trying to pull the two flaps together. Right watch the pommel make sure you're not seeing any rippling especially underneath you don't want to see any rippling Um, a lot of people have this misconception where if you pull the flap inward sort of tuck it underneath the saddle they'll see a fold and they'll freak out if it's really high up sort of underneath or above the d-ring that's broken okay underneath the d-ring that just is usually a very short tree point
0: interesting so much to know, <laughs> so I. There get... really
1: is, and people are like, you know, what's the one thing that needs to fit? And it's like, ah, well, there's not really
0: one. <laughs> mm, it depends. That's the response that I have gotten from any professional I've ever spoken to about, you know, a niche area of horse care or management or training. It's always met with, well, it depends. <laughs> And
1: And everything is connected, too. So you can't just fix one or have one area that's perfect and have the rest that, you know, are horrible. Because it's not going to be of any benefit.
0: And I guess that's why horses are so addicting, because you just, there's never a cap. You just can keep learning forever.
1: Which is somewhat a bit of a curse, because the more you learn, the less you realize you actually know.
0: Oh, for sure. It is imposter syndrome all the way and it's it's just crazy cuz you know i thought i could look at a saddle and be like yeah that fits probably and now going through the equine ergonomist course it's like okay now i'm to the point where i'm like even scared to give an opinion about a saddle because there's so much to consider and you know i am going through and re going through the course so that i will feel confident eventually But there's just so much to know. And I don't want to say that to discourage people from learning, but it's, if you think, and if you've never taken any sort of studying on anatomy or saddle fitting or anything like that, and you think that you know how to fit a saddle, you probably don't. It's, there's way too much to know. And I think that that's a very common misconception because when I've talked to people about it, they're like, oh yeah, I know how to take a I know how to fit a saddle, but like, you know, should I look into the equine ergonomist course? And I'm like, uh, yes, if you, if you think, you know, I mean, and you're doing it, you probably should.
1: We've had other practicing saddle fitters take our course just to, you know, continue professional development. You know, they want to get mm-hmm. as much information as possible. And this is back when we've also done in-person courses and they've come up to us and said, this has answered all of the questions that I had at the end of my other course. And this is not to sort of, you know, say that the other courses are terrible. It's just that we we go so in-depth into anatomy, biomechanics, both static and dynamically, and human anatomy, that we try and leave sort of no stone unturned.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's what I really respect about you guys and why I'm like so all about having you on the podcast and taking the course and you know it's just there's just so much to know and you guys put it all together so nicely and like i read your facebook posts on the saddle fit for life page and on the instagram and i'm just constantly sharing them to my story because i'm like people need to know like this is uh, such valuable information and i think people just go oh yeah my saddle fits i don't need to know about it and I mean, I can't really blame everyone that much because there are so many things to focus on with horses. But I think that a lot of the issues that people tend to run into with, you know, maybe having a high low foot or um, not being able to get the, the rounded back that they want in training or their horse is not really excelling in lateral movement. A lot of those training and um, basic care issues could be fixed by having a saddle not that you can just automatically correct a high low foot with the saddle that fits but you know if your saddle is falling to the hollow side I would imagine that that would create a distortion in the hoof development because their muscles change
1: there's a lot that the saddle can affect and one thing that people don't really don't think about is spookiness Mm -hmm. like a horse being spooky that can be attributed to physical discomfort and we've had another guest who did work with us her name is Barbara Schulte she's from Germany and she talks a lot about breeding standards and how we are breeding modern horses to basically be handicapped they don't Mm -hmm. move naturally they don't have the same you know physical ratios that a normal standard horse should and it makes them spookier because they're always in a state of discomfort. And when you look at saddle fit, a saddle that doesn't fit correctly will cause a horse or can cause a horse to remain in a state of elevated stress. Mm -hmm. So they're always in fight or flight mode. And another thing that it does besides, you know, creating the horse that is overly spooky is they can't absorb anything that you're teaching them. They can't focus. So suddenly you have a horse that is, and I quote, unwilling to learn, unwilling to work, hates Mm -hmm. work, et cetera, et cetera, insert whatever excuse you want.
0: Right. And that's what I talk about a lot on this podcast too. Like anytime I'm presented with a situation where a horse is experiencing some behavioral issues or just isn't really progressing, the first thing I ask is, have you checked for ulcers? Have you checked for back pain? Have you had anybody out to look at this horse because you cannot train through pain. I would be wasting my breath to even, you know, venture into a discussion on how you might fix this if the horse is experiencing pain in one way or another. And if the saddle doesn't fit or if, you know, their feet are uncomfortable, your your horse is just going to be, you know, that much further up the scale of unsuccessful. And I've noticed with a lot of our horses that we get right off the track and they've been fed rocket fuel um and their tummies don't feel good and they've had this big change in environment and they end up with ulcers when they come home they are just neurotic and crazy and then when we change their diet get their feet on the right track and give them a letdown period where they're out in a herd with other horses having their basic needs met then all of a sudden they are the most deadhead quiet happy in your pocket cool to do whatever dudes and they don't care about you know flapping things in the wind or the new arena or anything like that they're very calm and relaxed and it's not the horse that we knew at the beginning and it it just it goes to show that it's just not something that is really trainable it's a management and equipment change that makes all the difference and
1: it saddens me because they're so willing Mm -hmm. they really are they're the most willing partner and the things that we put them through, it just, its it it saddens me. It breaks my heart.
0: Yeah, I'm right there with you. It's, they're just so willing to please and to go and do and whatever. I mean, the stuff like looking at Rolex and having the horses run on these gigantic horses for 15 minutes, jumping these massive fences that would terrify just about any other horse – And they're so willing and they've gotten to this point training and learning and going and doing and there are probably a lot of them that are suffering in one way or another from some sort of issue and i know a lot of the top level horses are best taken care of but there are top level riders that might not know a lot about saddle fit or don't have a great fitter and you know end up with a horse that is suffering but still willing to do the job and it's just uh, it says a lot about horses and a lot about people, I think.
1: And another thing is that the career, the professional career of high level horses has shortened mm-hmm. quite substantially over time as well. And unfortunately, especially with a lot of high level riders is they really don't know anything about saddle fit. Not that I'm saying that they should but it is my belief that every single person who rides a horse should at least know the very basics. But they're always sponsored by companies and these companies, for the most part, don't care about saddle fit. And I know I'm gonna get hate for this, but they really don't. If you (laughs) come out with a saddle and you say, this fits every horse, you're lying.
0: Right. And I've seen so many saddles advertised that way or trainers, particularly Instagram trainers, that say, well, I got this saddle from X brand and it's designed to fit every horse. All I have to do is take it in the tack room, adjust a couple things, and then I'm good to go and it fits every horse. Or and it's just like uh, there's just no way that that's true. You might think it is and you might be being honest and that's what you genuinely believe, but that doesn't make it, you know, unequivocally true. It's it's what you've been told and it's marketing because who wouldn't want to buy the saddle that fits every horse i mean every trainer professional rider you know owner that has multiple horses would be like this is a perfect solution to all of my woes but that's an unfortunate just that's not possible there's no way
1: and it goes back to providing adequate care for the horse. If you are looking for something simply out of convenience, then you really are not taking into consideration the well-being of the animal.
0: Right. Which is like, there's just so many things to consider. So part of me doesn't fault riders, but I, I would like to use this episode and our conversation to raise more awareness about it, that it is something that if you haven't been considering it is something that you really need to take into consideration because it will affect your horse down the line take it from somebody whose mare has kissing spine and probably a host of si issues and um she has fusing hawks now and has historically been a like she was known infamously for her tail swishing and she was the crazy hot mare that everyone got a kick out of watching and i got an ego boost because i could handle this mare um but that's, have we met horses? They just want to chill outside in a field with their homies. Like it's not that deep. So if the horse is acting this way and it's directly, you know, contradicting to their nature, then something's probably going wrong and it's probably not the horse's fault or a character flaw. And that's something that I definitely had to come to terms with um, with my mare. And it's something that you know eats me alive i know that you know you can only do as best you can with what you know when you know it and when you know better you can do better but i mean it still sucks that i've got this this mare that is phenomenally talented and she has a whole host of you know physiological issues because she she was mistreated i mean she was trained through pain and ridden in equipment that was like riding in a or running miles in a shoe way too small and it's just like oh god and I hate that for other people and so that's why I want to have this podcast where you know we can make that information a little bit more accessible and allow people to not do the same thing that I did basically just do as I say not as I did but
1: and I really want Like, I don't want your listeners to hear everything and be like, oh, my God, there's nothing I can do. I want to invite everyone who listens to this to, you know, reach out to us on Facebook, reach out to us on Instagram. We're always there to answer questions. If you want to submit photos, let us know. We're there to help you. We're there to educate you. We're there to guide you. We're not going to be like, you know, put in your credit card number for five minutes. That's not how it works. Mm -hmm. We've had so many people come to us It's like, hey, can you help? with our saddle fits like yes and then we'll tell you exactly you know what few photos that we need to really get a better understanding of what we're working with and we'll give you as much help and guidance as possible and if you're in an area of one of our fitters we'll connect you with them as well and they'll work with you to get you into something that is more suitable for you and your horse or even find a temporary solution for your existing saddle if it's possible we're always willing to work with you because in the end, it's we don't get commission. We don't. We don't even sell saddles. We don't sell any tack. We, it's just pure education. Mm-hmm. All we want is to see a horse that is not suffering. And if we helped one, two, five people with their horses and they're able to, you know, ride pain free, that's a win for us. Even if, you know, it took 20 hours of us helping you and we got nothing in return, that horse being in comfort is what we want. That's our return,
0: right? That's That's why I want to work with you guys. <laughs> and it's just everything that I believe in and it's just it's it's awesome. I mean, so many companies and saddle brands are just about how many saddles can we sell? Not is it actually making a positive impact on the horses and the riders? or are we just overcharging for essentially a piece of wood that hurts?
1: Yeah, and for us, I mean, I've I've been very, very particular about, you know, n- our students shouldn't be recommending singular brands. If you are certified, you should remain unbiased. We have a whole code of ethics, um, of very strict rules and regulations for anyone who takes a course, and you would know, because that's mm-hmm. the first lesson yep. that is there. You have to agree to it to even access anything else. Right. Um. We're there to help. We're not there to sell. We're not there to judge. We're not there to make anyone feel stupid or terrible. We're there to help. Ask us. Ask us everything. Even if you think it's stupid, just ask. Right. We've heard it all. We'll give you as much information as you're willing to, you know, hear. Just reach out. Reach out because I guarantee you if you don't, your horse is going to suffer. You're going to end up paying the price either monetarily or by, you know, losing your best friend. Right. Just don't ever
0: don't be shy well I think that's awesome and that will go a long way with those listening because I feel like up until this point we've been kind of like this is why saddle fitting is frustrating and these are why everything that you've ever believed is wrong so I feel like it's a nice little break to be like also we can help (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so I, I think we've made it through three of our questions so far so um if you're still good to kick on, I think we can try and bust through these, you know, like two-thirds that we have left. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay. So um, number four here, we have the most important element, the length, the width, panel depth. Is there one or is it just it just needs to fit?
1: So there is no one single element, but I will give, I'm going to say three, but I'll probably make it to five. (laughs) I'm going to give three, three things that every single person can do to check. Okay. So the first one is length, because if a saddle is too long, what happens is the loins actually push it onto the shoulder and then the shoulder kicks it back. So you have this sort of back and forth motion. And also sitting on the lumbar is going to either have your horse buck you off or constantly sort of bunny hop in the back to try and push you off the lumbar. So mm-hmm. in order to check length, first and foremost, your saddle should be positioned correctly. So just behind the shoulder blade. What you usually do or what we usually do is sit the saddle on top of the shoulder and slide it back until mm-hmm. it sort of just rests. It like nestles into its spot.
0: I did learn that trick a long Leave time it there. ago. That is one thing that carried over.
1: So once the saddle is there, go to the hip, find the point of the hip, and sort of palpate gently forward. Make sure you don't get kicked. And you will find the 18th rib. Be very careful because there are a lot of fitters who say go straight up. And if you do, you're going to end up in the lumbar, probably like L3, L4, depending on the horse. So find the rib and then carefully... Again, make sure your horse doesn't cow kick you. Carefully follow the curvature up towards the spine. Right. And you'll lose it sort of about, you know, 8, 10 inches down because of the longest miss that runs over it. But just sort of eyeball the curve. When you hit the spine, that's when you go straight down, and that is the last, last point where you want to put pressure. So that gives you length.
0: Right. And that Second is one that's is, different in western saddles, right? Just a little bit. Like there's no
1: Yeah, so for westerns, if they have a skirt, um a lot of it a lot of them do extend quite far back. Mm-hmm. But what you can do is you can take a pen and sort of run it underneath and make sure the pen moves freely so that there's no pressure there
0: in the lumbar region.
1: So what happens in the lumbar region, yeah? Okay, sweet. So like any ballpoint pen, you can like sort of slide it underneath the rear flare and you should be able to move it freely without it getting stuck anywhere.
0: Right. And so bouncing off of that and into the panel depth and the width of the gullet, um, I've learned in the course that, you know, especially on our sporty horses with the short backs, if you're a heavier rider or a tall rider like me, then you end up needing a saddle that extends further into your horse's lumbar spine. But from my understanding, you can make adaptations to the panel to distribute the weight more evenly over the horse instead of having this teeny tiny little saddle that, I mean, it's it's the classic physics lesson where if you press down on a balloon on a bed of one nail, the balloon will pop. But if you press down on a balloon on a panel of a million nails, then the balloon won't pop because the weight gets evenly distributed. And so with the panel depth and width, you know, I just want to kind of cover that a little bit because I know there are riders of different shapes and sizes. And if you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're like, okay, I'm 5'10", and my horse is, I don't know, like, you know, 15 hands or so, I'm going to need a saddle that's bigger than the horse. So how does that affect the panel depth and width
1: so there are there are saddles where the panel is smaller than the seat so the seat length is determined by several different factors first is how long the pommel is the placement of the nail which can be placed pretty much anywhere by the saddle maker and how much foam is in the back pretty much against the candle so rear support for mm-hmm. the rider i have a massive horse who has a 15 inch saddle support area (laughs) my saddle for the seat is 18 inches so it is doable it's absolutely doable but you do not you absolutely do not want a saddle that extends into the lumbar because you will
0: run into some severe problems right so you just if you are in that situation really need to be sure that you're you're working with a saddle that can accommodate a seat size that's bigger but still stay within the saddle support area and distribute your weight appropriately and fairly to the horse.
1: Yeah. Okay, cool. There's also different options in regards to, I know a lot of dressage panels have like this huge, it juts out pretty far in the back with the belief that, you know, it provides extra comfort for the horse when it really doesn't if you have a horse with a very small saddle support area some of the things that the rider can do is have a flatter seat so it gives them a little bit more room to move around Mm -hmm. Um, have a saddle with a slightly lower cantle so not holding you in place like a lot of modern dressage saddles right so going with an all-purpose or even a jumper um, would would help if you're really struggling to find a saddle that fits you and also fits the horse and when looking at panels if you look at most jumping saddles they have very upswept panels right and we usually we call them like a banana panel so that even though the panel end extends further than the end of the saddle support area the pressure is not all the way to where the panel itself ends because it sweeps up so um steeply right so there are different things you can look at in a saddle that can help accommodate sort of you know what the rider needs and what the horse also needs
0: awesome yeah thank god for science (laughs) so (laughs) um i guess we can move into the pros and cons of the different types of panels on that note the wool versus foam versus air, um, what are your thoughts regarding that?
1: So air, we actually, we've done a lot of testing on air, and air is quite finicky. Right. So first and foremost, um, it expands and contracts, obviously, with different temperatures. So if you are in an area where there are a lot of temperature variances, air would not be sort of the best one for you. and there was, I can't recall the name of the study, but they found that the instance of pain in the rider, excuse me, pain in the rider was actually higher for air panels Hmm. because it didn't absorb the shock as well as wool or anything else. Right. Air, it can become quite hard. So I wouldn't recommend air in regards to foam. um, The only thing about foam I'll say is, you can't adjust it right so once it's compressed it's compressed and there are so many different types of foam um it depends on the sensitivity of the horse as well foam tends to hold a lot of heat um and if your horse is you know i know a lot of horses with the varying skin conditions where you want to have some sort of airflow you want to you know not have an area where there's basically no airflow and uh there's a lot of heat sort of trapped and foam also again depending on the type of foam that's used it can be also quite hard and not really distribute the weight of the rider properly or you know distribute concussion
0: right I've ridden in several that end so up feeling say... like bricks on the bottom and then Go ahead. I was just saying that yeah. like I've ridden in several that have ended up feeling like bricks just even to the touch and I can't imagine that that does a lot, and I mean, of course, it would depend, I imagine, on the type of foam, but that it just ends up with you sitting on bricks on the horse's back, and there's no airflow, it's hot, and it's rigid, and pony backs are not rigid.
1: (laughs) No, I would recommend either wool or like a wool synthetic mix, because it can be, and I just want to preface this by saying saddle fit cannot be adjusted by reflogging. You can reflock all you want, but the tree points, especially on wool or wool synthetic or whatever, they will always, the structure of the tree will always determine the fit. The flocking is just sort of, you know, to make us feel better as riders like, oh, you know, I flocked it, so therefore it fits in. (laughs) If the saddle angle and width don't fit, then it doesn't fit. I'm sorry. It's just how it is.
0: That's actually something I was not aware of. I mean, it seems like. Uh, you know, I've always heard that wool is the best option and that you can change the fit. And I, I, to me, it seems like you can obviously flock more on one side and maybe accommodate asymmetry a little bit in that regard. But if the tree itself is still off, then you're just kind of being counterintuitive, I guess.
1: The only thing that flocking can really help with is... You know, helping to lift the saddle a little bit to sort of help balance it out a little bit, or you know, provide the horse with a bit more comfort. But for example, I'd say majority, if not almost all, English saddles, the tree points will fall through. You, with your hand, if you press against the underside of the panel, you can feel the tree points. Mm -hmm. So no matter how the panel is flogged, as soon as it. Is girthed up on the horse and the rider is added, those tree points come straight through. So if they don't fit, they don't fit. That
0: is a it's very just, good point.
1: It, there's right. nothing you can do about it.
0: Right. So moving into the trees question here. So, um, Sonia, do you prefer adjustable or fixed trees on a saddle? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Always adjustable. Um, I have, here's the thing though. I'm not going to say, don't ever buy a saddle that isn't adjustable just be prepared to change your saddle when your horse changes yeah A a fixed tree can fit a horse don't get me wrong it can absolutely fit a horse but it will not always fit the horse just like with an adjustable tree you can have it adjusted but if the horse changes and you don't adjust that tree it no longer fits
0: It seems like there needs to be some sort of subscription box that service that you can just do like a trade post on saddles. So if you can't get an adjustable tree, then just everybody that's dealing with this fictional subscription box would just be like, okay, well, my horse doesn't need this particular tree shape anymore. Anybody else need it? Cool. You have one I can have. Okay, we'll swap. And unfortunately, I don't believe that there is a service like that.
1: The only problem is even measuring the saddle or measuring what the horse needs, there is no standard language. Mm. Like, if I were to take, you know, saddle A, that is a medium, whatever the hell that means, and measure it point to point on the end of the tree. And take another saddle from a different manufacturer, also medium, and do the same measurement, it would be completely different.
0: Right. There
1: is no standard
0: yeah. To me, it seems like women's pants. There's just, you never know what the number really means or what the medium, narrow, wide, medium, wide, what any of it means. It's all dependent on who measured it and what brand, which is frustrating.
1: Pretty much. Yeah. And and that's why when we fit saddles, we never, ever say medium, medium, wide, narrow, because really, what does it mean?
0: Nobody if, knows. If
1: I tell you I need a medium, what is in your head you're like okay what what is it angle is it width is it like what what is it
0: yeah to me it's the
1: manufacturers can't agree
0: i go by like horse style like i imagine medium narrow to narrow is generally a thoroughbred and then warm bloods and round quarter horses end up as wides and then the appendix breeds are that's how i've always kind of categorized it but then what about the round thoroughbred or the, you know, shark fin quarter horse. And then it just, none of it matters. <laughs> it's just, it all depends on I who's measuring.
1: I'll use, I'll use my horse as an example. She is, like I said, a nightmare to fit. I'm pretty sure if we tested all of our fitters on her, they would fail. <laughs> that is how much a nightmare she is. But she is thoroughbred, thoroughbred through and through. She... When you look at her, her shoulders, width-wise, they're very wide. Right. When you look at her shoulder, angle-wise, she's very steep. Yeah. So looking at her, I'm like, okay, do I need narrow? Do I need a wide?
0: (laughs) Yeah. I had my horse before...
1: There's nothing that fits her.
0: Right. My horse before Zoe was... he was named Bo and he had a big old shark fin wither, with not a top line in sight. And we can all make our own assumptions about as to why that was. Um, but when I had the fitter out to make a custom saddle to him, um, it ended up with a very narrow gullet and angle. And then the, the knee roll panels just flared to I guess to accommodate his shoulder but there was no rounding no nothing so it just ended up sticking out off of him instead of like wrapping and hugging his body with his shape and it was just like I guess the attempt was to just have full clearance but really it just made everything else have to compensate more and creating more pressure points thus not allowing him to develop a top line or anything like that and so I feel you in that regard I have been there don't appreciate it. I like that's always a little bit more stereotypical, but I haven't had to fit her yet. so we'll see with my new knowledge what I think or if she is a nightmare.
1: And I'll give your viewers or sorry your listeners mm-hmm. um, a little bit of advice on how to measure if their saddle tree is wide enough in the width, not the angle.
0: Oh, awesome. And yeah.
1: that is having the saddle on the horse placed correctly not girthed, but just placing you know if you are right-handed placing your left hand on the pommel and pressing down Mm -hmm. actually you know what for this exercise you probably don't even need to press down but you know how in pony club they always teach you how to check underneath the pommel you know how many fingers there is gap wise when you're checking the width you want to check between the edge of the saddle underneath basically pretty much underneath the pommel and against the edge of the spine. So your hand is going to be parallel to the ground. Okay. As you slide it in against the top edge of the spine. I'm not sure if I'm explaining that Nope.
0: I'm I've <laughs> like got my hands understandable. I've got my hand hovering on my imaginary horse. I'm following.
1: <laughs> okay. So if you have less than, you know, two to three fingers, it's too narrow. And I say that because as the horse moves Again, the spine moves laterally. Right. So if you turn or, you know, if your horse bends, that saddle is going to come in and bump the spine. That's the last thing you want to do. And you want to measure that on both sides.
0: Okay. So ideally you would have how many fingers? Assuming you have a standard So hand.
1: ideally between two and three on both sides.
0: Okay. So, okay, I think I get it. So your hand is on the side of the spine laying and you shouldn't hit, say, the start of the panel.
1: It's sort of between the very, and I mean, you have a giant withered horse,
0: it's
1: (laughs) between the top edge of the wither, so you're not on the wither, but you're sort of next to it. Okay. And then measuring the gap between the wither and, you know, wherever the saddle starts.
0: Okay. Yeah that makes sense to me I hope it makes sense to everyone else I at least have a mental picture in my head I hope it's right this is where demos come in handy
1: yes (laughs) yeah for sure
0: need visual aids um okay so as far as we answered how far back the saddle should go um so including shoulder asymmetry and saddle fitting I think we covered that one a little bit but is there anything else you want to say on that
1: Um, I'll say for shimming, a lot of people make the mistake of shimming into the gap. So let's say we have a horse that has the right shoulder a bit more forward and the the saddle is moving to the right, they'll fill the right side, which is the gap, but really they should be filling. So this is a saddle that's going to the right, they should fill left front
0: right rear okay and a lot
1: of people i'll tell them that they'll be like um what the
0: right side's not the problem it's
1: backwards to them
0: right that makes sense so um yeah so i guess on that since i know we wanted to talk about saddle pads and half pads more um is there any like gimmicky type saddle pad that you think that there's a lot of misconception about? Um, Cause I know like the memory foam pads have historically not been my favorite or the gel pads. Cause I feel like they just create a lot of movement or um, in the case of memory foam, potentially compaction similar to what we were talking about with the foam panels. So um, is there any, like is fleece better? Do you have an, a thought on that or is it just your saddle needs to fit?
1: Honestly, your saddle needs to fit. In regards to the saddle pad, it's less about the material, more about the care.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, a lot of people use harsh detergents. You shouldn't. You should use something very gentle. Uh, wash it regularly. Make sure there's no, you know, like knots or anything underneath the saddle pad. A lot of horses have skin sensitivity, which will come up if the saddle pad's not cleaned or cared for properly. Mm-hmm. Um I'm not a big fan of half pads because it's similar to let's say you have a shoe that fits and you decide to add a couple more socks. Why? What well, for? Right. What is the purpose of it other than making it tighter?
0: Right. And that's that's something that I've always wondered. Um, and I can actually cut this part out of the episode. This what I'm about to say. If you don't want to talk about brands, um, but you know, for kissing spine. I've done a lot of looking into the thin line pads because they talk so much about their research into it and what the surgeons have to say. And um, it seems like thin line is supposed to be a weight distribution kind of thing. Uh, I don't know. Clearly, I haven't retained anything that I read. Thanks, Brain. But um, like, do you have thoughts on that? Or is it just like if the saddle fits, you don't really need any extra concussion support?
1: So I'll explain it in this way. If you have a pad, and most saddle pads are soft.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So let's say you have a saddle pad, like a thin line or anything that, you know, doesn't have sort of like a rigid surface. If you were to walk around on that saddle pad in high heels, it would not distribute your weight. It would be localized wherever that heel went. Right. So if you take that pad, a soft pad, any pad, And throw a traditional saddle on top, it cannot physically distribute the tree point or the pressure from the tree point. It can't, it simply can't do it. The only time that it can is if it's made or backed with a rigid material like plastic or whatever. Something where the pressure cannot, you know, poke through in one central location.
0: Right. Interesting. That is something to, that I'm going to have to think about (laughs) because I mean, it just seems like, you know, it would add an extra layer of comfort, but is that more just make the rider feel better kind of thing?
1: It basically does help make the rider feel better. It might add like a little bit of um, cushioning, Mm -hmm. but when you're talking about the weight of the rider and you know how the weight of the rider is carried by the tree of the saddle the only way that is going to get distributed is over a oh, sorry distributed over a large area is if it's landing on something that doesn't cave and give where the pressure points are
0: okay interesting so is there ever a circumstance where you would want to use a half pad or mostly just in shimming circumstances
1: honestly um i would recommend maybe you know if you need to do shimming the only problem is with shimming a lot of people don't realize that when you shim you have to be very careful that the shim itself doesn't move and saddle pads do tend to move Mm -hmm. that means that wherever you wanted to shim you're not necessarily shimming so you might be creating pressure points somewhere without realizing it thinking that you know you shimmed correctly but saddle pad moved you know things got shuffled around the best way to actually shim is to shim Mm -hmm. the saddle itself which I don't know that it even exists at this point
0: (laughs) yeah I mean that makes sense It's I just I know so many people that it doesn't really matter what horse it goes on they throw a fleece pad on and I've done it before and or used a thin line or I don't know if there's any pad with the or under the assumption that it will help make the horse more comfortable but from what I'm gathering it's it's just really I not going to make a, a significant difference
1: if you have if you have a horse that is very sensitive in the back um, and you want to just provide a little bit more cushioning but again you have to be careful that you're not essentially making the saddle fit tighter with this addition
0: right Yeah, because, I mean, obviously, Zoe just had kissing spine surgery. The comfort and sensitivity of her back is at the forefront of my considerations in, you know, moving forward, getting a new saddle for her. And so it's like, do I want to be able to put a pad on, or is it just better to just make sure that the saddle fits very well over time? That was a question.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely – it's definitely – better to make sure that the saddle fits okay um a lot of people if they come to us and say you know my horse is overly sensitive or whatever we'll we'll ask them you know have you you know considered that there might be other things going on perhaps it's weakness related and you know try and sort of guide them that way as opposed to just throwing on you know pad after pad after pad
0: mm-hmm. that makes sense and so i would imagine that with like really thick um i'm not sure if you're familiar with poly pads like those type of half or saddle pads that are really thick and poofy those would create a similar issue as opposed to just like a regular cloth saddle pad
1: yeah Yeah. honestly the best pad you can use is one that is you know just there to protect the saddle has wither relief so, it is in the shape of the back. You do not want a square pad. No horse is square. I know. So, you want something that has the shape of the back.
0: I can't stand those, those like baby pad types that just, like, that you're either going to end up with a crease and a fold and therefore a pressure point or then the pad pushing straight down onto the wither. And, like, there's just no comfortable way to do that. I don't know why people make those.
1: I mean, I'm. You know, we're female, we wear bras. If something were to, even if like a small weight was to just sort of pull on one of the straps all day, mm-hmm. it would irritate the crap out of us. And right. it would hurt. It, you'd have like a little sore. So imagine the weight of a rider causing that to go back and forth over the withers, mm. rubbing constantly.
0: Yeah. I, and see, I, you know, t- to the demise or disappointment of my past and current partner is like i i am all about a sports bra i refuse to wear wire bras unless it's a very special occasion because the straps are too thin my saddle support is not great <laughs> i need a big strap and because it's way more comfortable so to to further your metaphor there i mean wider to a certain extent better and no pressure points please I genuinely cannot stand regular bras and I just end up wearing sports bras all the time because they're comfy and I much prefer them so subject my horse to that as well
1: and and I'll go on and say like especially over the spine a lot of horses they'll drop away from pressure not consciously right but it's just a reaction so a pad that places pressure especially cuz they usually have some sort of stitching and you know whatever decorative thing that they mm-hmm. have on the back if it is sort of curled downward and digs into the spine you're essentially telling the horse hey don't lift
0: right and they they can't do anything about and it it's a
1: reflex yeah they're they're not trying to drop away they're just being they're you're telling the body hey drop away And I mean, even with, and I'm going, I'm sidetracking a little bit here, (laughs) but there's a lunging device with a rope that goes between the front legs and over the spine. And it, and I quote, it is supposed to help supple the horse, whatever, whatever, all this gimmicky, Mm -hmm. you know, marketing BS. It's like, you have directly told the horse, don't lift the back.
0: And it's so counterintuitive because you've got this piece of rope pressing on their back, which tells the horse invert and lift your head. So then when they drop their head, uh, like, I mean, I I guess I understand the logic of it because then when they lift their head, the rope tells them to put their head down. But if they take a step and, you know, maybe the rope's too tight and it grabs the spine again, then you're just basically telling the horse to cat cow. Like, this isn't yoga. (laughs) Don't do that.
1: And it's it's just a false frame. it's it's a false frame. that's all you're making. And you're I, not teaching the horse collection. you're no. not teaching the horse to engage. you're not teaching the horse to lift the base of the neck. nothing. You're just head down heavy, drop the back, you know
0: right. and a false frame. that's all it is. You end out end up with a bunch of different and, and you know, I'm in a bunch of kissing spine support groups and I see people posting about that and I'm like, please don't use that on your horse. That will literally undo your rehab don't
1: we have we did a presentation with a vet who is right now based out of south africa and she's been doing dissections for a very long time she works with the helen alana davies research Mm. project yeah um and she did a small segment on that particular rope and how it creates you know instability it creates pressure and people are like oh it's a soft rope and it's like that doesn't matter it's still pressure and friction
0: right and I, I, a lot of people say things like about that, um, you know, well, I let it out. It's loose. It's not even tight. And I'm like, then why use it at all if it's not even functioning? You're just irritating the horse or, it, you know, creating a potentially dangerous situation for no reason because it's so loose. It's not even doing what it is intended to do. And then when it is tight enough, then it's still causing problems. This is why we say train and don't use gadgets. <laughs>
1: People are always rushing in their training, but they're rushing to the wrong destination, and they are putting themselves further back than where they started.
0: Right. One of my favorite uh, training, I don't know if proverb is a strong word, but slow down, you'll go faster, is so true Yeah. in every facet of horses. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I guess, do you have any thoughts on synthetic saddles, like... Do they pose any differences as a regards
1: to, the other? to? I mean, it all comes down to preference. We, as long as the saddle fits in the areas that it should, it can be made out of anything. It could okay. be made out of, you know, pineapple leather or mm-hmm. whatever. It doesn't matter. Okay. As long as A, the tree is able to support the rider properly and flex properly. To absorb impact based on the rider's weight, and you know, not create localized pressure points. It doesn't matter about the rest. The only thing I'll say is to make sure that whatever material you're using is safe. That means the billets that they're not going to snap on you. That means that you know any part of the saddle that is directly related to your safety, be it you know the billets or the stirrup bars or the stirrup. strip leathers just make sure those are safe and that's it okay. everything else it can be whatever
0: sweet so um once again we're here at trees pros and cons of treed saddles versus treeless i actually just watched a video from uh Schleza on their youtube about treeless and bareback stuff so if anybody's interested in that that video is out there um but on just how how not effective it is and the bareback pads that are supposed to distribute your weight I just physically can't also due to what we were talking about earlier with your um like the female pelvis it's just not possible really to ride comfortably and well in a way for both horse and rider and my black stallion dreams were crushed i was like this is so sad to me but what are your thoughts
1: so I'm going to preface this by saying that I don't support treeless. However, if someone is sort of in between saddles and they're trying to, you know, somewhat rehab their horse, treeless can work temporarily. Okay. And the emphasis lot is on temporarily. So I'll go back in history a little bit on why the tree was made it was made to help stabilize the rider and specifically distribute the weight of the rider and not cause pain or damage to the horse full stop that's why the tree was made Mm -hmm. so in order to protect the horse make sure they can move properly you know don't put them at risk for injury discomfort or you know catastrophic accident because they can't utilize their body in the manner that they should I suppose I would say that, you know, every single person should ride in a treed saddle. That being said, riding bareback is better than riding in a saddle that is completely inappropriate for your horse. Right. And a lot of the comments that we get, especially on our Facebook page is, you know, the horse went poorly in a treed saddle and then went beautifully bareback or in, you know, a treeless saddle. Mm. And, I'll say that every single component of saddle fit that we look at affects a different area of the horse. And each of those components will cause a different reaction. So if you have a saddle that, you know, pinches the withers, causes atrophy in the trapezius and, you know, clips the shoulder, of course the horse is going to move better when you take that away. You're essentially taking away the handbrake. But that doesn't mean that the horse is moving better per se he's moving freer in the shoulder freer in you know the neck but what about his back is he lifting properly or are you know the pressure points created by the rider's seat bones preventing that
0: right and it's what we talked about before we jumped on the call that it's, yeah. it's just, like, it's relative. So you're riding in a poorly fitted saddle. The horse is not doing well. You take the saddle off, and now you're riding bareback. The horse is moving now, period, full stop. <laughs> it The horse is moving. It, is it better comparatively, or is it just now able to actually move? And if you were to put on a well-fitted treed saddle, would it then be even better than the bareback, most likely? So I, I see where the... The logical fallacy is in that argument that just, well, my horse is better when I'm bareback or better when I'm uh, in a bareback or treeless saddle pad or whatever. Um, and then it's like, well, but did you actually have a saddle that fit um, or not? It might not be just one plus one equals two in this situation Correlation does not equal causation. Just because a treed saddle was there doesn't mean that tree saddles are bad. It's the fit. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I'll say sort of the hierarchy goes fitted saddle, you know, slightly fitted saddle, bareback, very bad saddle.
0: Right. Okay. So um, are there any differences you want to cover about English versus Western saddles and – is the gullet size generally the same? Like if, if, say, Zoe was to have a dressage saddle and a western saddle, would the gullet width need to be the same or no?
1: So the gullet width should always be about a fist. And in western saddles, we almost never run into the issue of the gullet being too narrow. It's mostly an English saddle issue where you see the gullet is way too narrow.
0: Okay. All right, Um, then let's move into our misconceptions here, our last little section, finally. So is it true that a a saddle that fits well can go straight onto the horse without any saddle pads? And my guess from what you've said is that saddle pads are there just to keep it clean.
1: Pretty much, yeah. You can use, although we don't recommend it, especially for sensitive horses, a saddle without a a pad. Mm -hmm. It's there to protect the leather.
0: Okay. Um, So should you ride in a new saddle without pads so that it can shape to the horse's body or does the pad not affect it?
1: So a saddle that is fitted doesn't need to be shaped or, you know, molded anymore. It fits. So just ride with it with, you know, a regular pad that has, you know, the wither relief in the front.
0: Right. If anything, I've heard that you know saddles over time instead of shaping to the horse's body you know because I mean it's not something that's necessarily controllable it's on an organic moving organism so the the wool might get displaced or moved around or the foam might become compacted and stuff so it's not you almost don't want it to shape change in any way more so just stay and stay on top of the maintenance right
1: and that's pretty much why another reason you want your saddle checked regularly, because wool does settle. And depending on how you store your saddle, a lot of people don't store them correctly. You can actually have the rails of a saddle stand mm-hmm. cause indents in the flocking.
0: Right. Which is another facet of frustration in my life. <laughs> um, so is there any other myth that you'd like to debunk regarding saddle fit?
1: There's so, so many. I can't really think of anything off the top of my head. Um, We briefly did discuss sort of, you know, the confusion around asymmetry and why you Mm -hmm. wouldn't put a symmetrical saddle on an asymmetric horse. Um, What else is there? I'm not sure I know of anything else. Does anything come to the top of your head?
0: I'm trying to think... um about any myths that I know of or what people tend to think about saddles. Um, I I honestly can't think of anything else. That's why I asked you. (laughs)
1: Oh, I have one. one. So this is um, a particular school of thought where they say you should put the saddle two to four inches behind the shoulder blade. Okay. Now you've done some of the course Mm -hmm. and you know how small that saddle support area is on most horses.
0: Right. That's so no
1: bueno. Let's use my wonderful mare as an example. So she's fifteen inches. Let's say I put the saddle four inches back. I now have nine inches. I don't even think my own butt alone would fit into nine inches. Right. Let alone a saddle.
0: Yeah, that doesn't make any sense at all. Um, the the only other thing that I can think of is that just like it's hard to articulate, but that all rider postural error is the rider's responsibility. Um, And that you like, to me, if I had a trainer that was constantly barking at me to pull my heel back or pull my lower leg down um, or to lean more right or lean more left because I'm off kilter or I'm dropping a hand or something, that would be at this point, a sign that my saddle is something's off. And that's about all I've got. Um, do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Uh, a lot of rider like posture issues are from the saddle and it's the same as if I were to throw you into a lazy boy, you can't help, but sort of sink in and sink back. Right. And I feel bad for a lot of riders because they're being made to feel like they can't ride their horse. They can't move with their horse. They can't. Especially with canter, so many riders cannot sit the canter and it's not their fault. Mm
0: -hmm. And then you end up with the trainer yelling at you. Sorry, there's a delay. Sorry, Um, go ahead. (laughs) I was just saying that um, you end up with, you know, you're already like trying to compensate and move with your horse correctly and do all of the things right and then you've got a trainer barking at you telling you that you know you're not doing it right you need to relax and soften and you're like I physically can't relax and soften into the saddle without damaging myself or hurting my back in some way and it's it's just a big self-defeating cycle isn't it
1: it really is and I mean you're only as good as your equipment allows you to be just like skating with doll skates Mm -hmm. it's and it it causes a lot of riders to lose, you know, faith in themselves and their ability, and you know, really beat down on themselves. It's like, no, it's not you, right? It's your saddle.
0: Yeah, and I think that that circles back to the point about you know bareback, and another myth around that might be that it's more natural to ride bareback, but to what you were saying about the whole purpose of developing a tree or a saddle itself to put on a horse was to improve horse and rider performance so that they weren't um, inhibited in any way to move in unison and be able to shoot the enemy or get to the new place faster. You know, it's, It was designed to make an improvement. It's not going against nature. It's to help both. Um, which and, like I said, ruins my black experience. And to be dreams. fair,
1: like riding horses is not natural.
0: Right. So I, you know, even though it's your, it's your picturesque moment to be cantering bareback on the beach, you know, maybe once in a blue moon, but not commonly. Yeah, no. So, um, our last couple of topics here are um what to do if you have multiple horses and you're on a budget how on earth do you accommodate that without you know sacrificing the horse's well-being or your well-being how on earth
1: so there are a few saddles that you can purchase english and western where as long as you get the measurements of each horse They'll tell you what adjustments to make between horses so that it can fit. And that can be anywhere from, you know, adjustments that you can make yourself to the tree and then the inclusion of shimming or shimming alone. Okay. And there are some saddles where the paddles, or, sorry, where the panels come off and you can have instead of, you know, one saddle per horse, you have one set of panels per horse, but the same saddle that it fits to. That's
0: cool. And I know that, you know, you guys at Saddle Fit for Life aren't partial to any one brand, but are you aware of which brands offer those options? Because I personally can only think of like one.
1: Uh, it's the one that you're thinking of, and <laughs> I really just don't want to say it.
0: Okay. All right. That's fair. Um, yeah. So we're about science here, not marketing. Um Okay, so do you have any other tips that you'd like to mention about um, getting saddles when you are on a budget? Because let's face it, yes, you need to factor in the cost of a saddle to the horse, but not everyone can have as big of a budget factored into that cost. Um, So what's the best way you think to go about finding a saddle that fits your horse on a budget?
1: So the first very first thing you want to do before you look at any saddle have your horse measured and there are a lot of fitters out there who will do like wither measurements and so on the measurements that you want and you know that are done by fitters that are certified through us are shoulder angle and width length those are the top three that you essentially want to know Mm -hmm. and once you have like if you were to call out a fitter that was certified through us, you it was you would essentially get an entire sheet which is a report on everything your horse needs, everything you need, and that you can use to find a saddle that is suitable. Not, you know, having someone come out and saying, Oh, your horse needs a medium. It's like, Well what the hell does that mean?
0: Right. If In you call brand. out someone
1: that is certified through Saddle F- for Life, they're not gonna say medium, medium wide, they're gonna say this measurement, these numbers, mm-hmm. that exact number. Right. So you're not left guessing, you know, what the hell do you mean by medium? You you know exactly, oh, my horse needs, you know, a 67 uh, degree angle with whatever width. Right. So first, first and foremost, find out what your horse needs. Yeah. Plain and simple.
0: And I, I, as I'm selling a couple saddles between me and my boss at the moment – um, it's not difficult to ask sellers to go take a tape measure and measure what you need. And you could probably find a graphic online or draw it yourself on what exact measurements you need. And then you can compare it to your horse um, if you don't have the option to just like go to the the saddle shop <laughs> and pick one. Because um, I know for me in Arkansas, we're predominantly Western out here. And most of the people don't really care what goes on their horse's backs as long as they can sit in it. Um, so it's it's difficult to, it, you know, I can't just walk into a tack shop and pick a saddle. I have to do it over the internet for the most part. So um, as, as somebody who is selling saddles and has had to measure countless and questionable parts of saddles, um, you can ask <laughs> and people will usually supply because saddles are hard to get rid of. So if you get interest, um, sellers will pretty much give you any measurement you need.
1: And if you, you know, if you don't have a fitter in your area, like I said before, give us a shout. We will help you. We'll walk you through step by step. Awesome.
0: Yeah, so I guess um, in closing, is there one particular thing that you want everyone listening to know about SaddleFit?
1: Um, I would say that, you know, it doesn't have to be expensive. You know, custom is not the be-all, end-all. And saddle fit is really a core component of, you know, overall horse health and horse care. It's not this. It's not an extra that a lot of people consider it to be. If you want your horse to be healthy, be happy, you know, continue to be a willing partner, and to really build longevity into them, have a saddle that fits you and your horse.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I think that that is. The core message of this now approaching two hour long podcast (laughs) i'm watching the timer and i'm like oh poor sonia you've been talking for so long (laughs) um
1: oh that's okay i'm always happy to you know provide information
0: sweet well we'll probably have you back on then and extort that (laughs) um so is there something that you're really interested in tackling like a big goal coming up or one that you've just accomplished what's next
1: Honestly, for me, my main goal and the mission of the company is to get our education out there and have how we fit be sort of like the standard, the global language of saddle fitting. Yeah. You know, we want everyone to really respect what the horse needs. Not, it's not taking a, you know, a horse and trying to fit it to this saddle, that saddle. It's taking the horse and understanding what it needs and finding something suitable for it. It's preventing pain, preventing, I mean, all of the injuries, all of the discomfort, it's avoidable. To see a horse go around in visible pain, I don't want to see that anymore. I don't want to see saddle sores. I don't want to see, you know, more instances of kissing spine. I don't want horses who, you know, are, put in all manner of gadgets because they're misbehaving when really the horse is just desperately trying to tell the rider something hurts something is wrong please listen
0: right and you know it's uh, regarding kissing spine obviously that's something that's very near and dear to my heart at this moment um i listen to a lot of podcasts and webinars over experts on kissing spine and vets talking about it And it seems to be that the consensus is that kissing spine is a congenital issue and it's inherited. And, you know, I've heard several vets and I'll preface this by saying I, who am I to argue with a vet, but I, I just have a really hard time believing that the only way a horse can get kissing spine is if it's genetic. Um, Just knowing Zoe, I mean, she might be predisposed to it, but, you know, the way that she went around for years with her back hollow and her back arched and just peddling out behind with her, um, you know, her hind legs and ending up with hawk issues because of a compensatory issue. And then, like, it just, it, I really struggle to believe that the saddle or the rider and, Weight distribution has any, like, or just doesn't have any effect on the development of kissing spine. And I don't mean to say weight as in, like, heavy riders will give their horse kissing spine, not that. But, like, even me, you know, I could give my height and weight, but I'm a bigger person. So to be on a horse with a very small saddle support area in a very, or in a saddle that doesn't have any support, it, you end up creating a lot of issues and localized pressure and then the horse drops out from under you and then they go around for years competing with their backs hollow and it just seems to me like it would be nearly impossible for their back not to try to adapt via kissing spine I mean would do you have any thoughts on that or I don't know it just seems like it can't only uh, be congenital
1: so the vets that we worked with um the ones that did a whole bunch of dissections, they mentioned that, you know, when there's irregular tension placed on bone or even cartilage, what the body does it, is it deposits more bone there to create stability. Mm-hmm. So, in the case of a horse who is dropping away from pressure or discomfort, as the bone or as the spinal dorsal or dorsal spinous processes rub together, the body sees that as a trauma and instability. So, what they'll do is, you know, between it rubbing together, it'll deposit more bone there to prevent it,
0: mm-hmm. to
1: sort of glue everything together. Stabilize and we don't it. only see that in the thoracic vertebrae, but we also see bone deposits in the cartilage on the shoulder as well, especially when you have a saddle that really doesn't fit the shoulder width or angle. And so to say that, you know, majority of kissing spine is hereditary, I find it difficult just understanding the biomechanics of the horse and how, I mean, they've done standing x-rays of horses where they cause the horse to engage and then to drop away. And you see the processes come together and spread apart. Mm -hmm. It's hard for me to, you know, agree in that it is mostly hereditary, especially seeing how most, most horses go around with the back dropped, which brings everything together. It's like how I don't, I can't understand how that wouldn't be a very severe contributing factor to it.
0: Right. And I agree. And I mean, it's not to say to put anyone down that is talking about that. I mean, these are professionals that have researched it and I know that they found it in very young horses, but to me it feels more like that's a lack of muscular development and perhaps kissing i mean this is my like armchair theory but that kissing spine is something more natural than we think and since we're just now gaining more information on it i mean i imagine it's like humans if you you know over flex your back and push your belly button way forward and pull your shoulders back you know you're you're gonna impinge something especially if you have weight pressing there and then the you know compounded effect of Gravitational pull. I mean, like it just—it doesn't make sense from a, you know, physiological standpoint for me that it wouldn't affect. And my armchair theory is that it's a political thing that you can't out people for bad training or um, having improper fitted tack and uh, weight ratio, and that it's just easier to say it's hereditary because <laughs> that doesn't make—I mean, to me that just I doesn't mean, make sense.
1: A portion of it is hereditary and of the course. problem with saying you know with ousting people for you know not having properly fit attack is again it goes back to well what's the standard mm-hmm. what constitutes properly fitted because it varies that's, depending on who you ask
0: that's a good point not even so just it, like... it
1: seems like an easier answer as opposed to actually diving into well what makes a good fit what constitutes it what parameters
0: yeah and does then, it need
1: to fall into for it to be good
0: and then from a research perspective you have to delve into okay well what fit types are causing it if it is and yeah it that seems like a lot of work even to me but um i just i have a hard time believing uh, that saddle fit has no no um effect on the development of kissing spine i i think that it absolutely can be a contributing factor at the very least. I mean, even if Zoe was or wasn't predisposed, I don't really think it matters. I think that the management alone and the equipment I used, I think that that played a massive role in it. So is
1: Um honestly, be I want riders to be open to understanding saddle fit, knowing that it can be quite an uncomfortable conversation to have with themselves. You know, they're going to find problems, but it's not the end of the world. Understanding that your saddle doesn't fit and, you know, seeking the guidance of, you know, us or whoever else, it leads you onto a path of making it better. But to simply ignore it, it you're gonna do a lot of damage to your horse that you can't undo. And you know, even for people who are okay with, you know, a poorly fitted saddle saying that, you know, they'll get um, Cairo or whatever after, it's money cannot buy back time that you've lost with your horse. Yeah. And it can't buy more time either. So the time that you have with your equine partner, make the most of it, even if it means having difficult conversations and having, you know, uncomfortable situations where you might feel like there's nothing you can do just you know admitting to yourself that there is a problem is the first step and then seek out the help of people in your area seek out the help of you know saddle fit for life or you know one of our fitters and start on the path at at the very least just begin start having the conversation your horse will thank you
0: yeah I think that that's a a great message to leave it on. So with that, thank you, Sonia, for coming on and talking to everyone. I think that this has been a very informative episode. and I'm excited to get it out.
1: Yes, me too. It's been fun, and I can't wait to come back.
0: Yeah, so is there anything that you want to plug anywhere you'd like to direct people?
1: Um, I mean, if you want to learn, there is so much information on our Facebook page, all free. We have videos, posts. We have, um, you know, full webinars on there as well. For anyone who really wants to dive a little more into fitting education itself, you can visit us at saddlefitforlifeacademy.com. We have all manner of courses obviously the big one is the certified equine ergonomist, or, you know, if you just want to dabble in a few topics, you can do that as well. But another thing that I just want to mention is we have a conference where we had several guest speakers, everything from breeding to, you know, myofascial trigger points to being a compassionate equestrian. If it's all on there and you can access it anytime and, uh, Yeah, we're constantly adding new courses, so do check back on a regular basis uh, because the catalog of courses is always getting bigger.
0: Yeah, you guys just did a massive revamp of the um, Equine Ergonomist program, and it looks incredible. So, yeah, I I think we'll leave it with that. So I'll thank you again, and I'll catch you next time.
1: Okay, take care. You too.
0: Alrighty, guys, that is the episode. I hope you learned something and enjoyed it. Oh, my God, it's so much information. I can tell you straight up, I will be listening to this episode several times uh, to really process all of that. Sonia is amazing (laughs) at conveying a bunch of different points that uh, old Jill hadn't considered about saddle fit. So hopefully you learned something new or it made you think about something in a different way and didn't stress you out too badly about uh, ensuring that your saddle fits you and your horse. Um, But yeah, as always, as we said several times in the episode, feel free to reach out to either of us and um, I will get you in contact with them if necessary or you can reach out to them directly um and yeah be sure to check us out on the socials and i will see you guys next week have a good one